What is going on, everybody? And welcome. This is episode number 59 of RizzoCast. I'm Steven Rizzotto, and we are joined today by a legend. She's the voice of Oracle Park, the legendary public address announcer for the San Francisco Giants. Rennell Brooks-Moon, Dr. Rennell Brooks-Moon is in the house. Rennell, how are you doing? Thanks for coming on. Thank you for that lovely introduction, and thanks for having me. I, I'm, I'm doing great. My boys, uh, we got a split in Pittsburgh, so we're getting ready for Cincinnati today, and the Dodgers come to town this weekend. Yes, the Dodgers come to town this weekend. I wanted to ask you about that. The Giants are, as you mentioned, on an eight-game road trip here during this recording, so you don't have to show up to the ballpark during that time. So what do you do during road trips? I feel like a lot of people might wonder about this. What does Rennell Brooks Moon do? Is it boring or do you are you usually have something to do? I don't have a lot of off days. Um, <laughs> I really don't. This job has blessed me with so many other opportunities. And sometimes I do have to go to the ballpark. Um, well, pre-pandemic, I would have to go, you know, for meetings and voiceover sessions. And I've done that occasionally. Um, since this season started, but I'm I'm in Zoom meetings. We have weekly, bi-weekly employee chalk talks. I host a lot of events here in the Bay Area, which is my great honor and privilege to use my voice for the, the good of the community and um, try to squeeze in a little time with the husband. But, you know, every day is different. I, every day is absolutely different. I've been doing a lot of podcasts this season because of all the wonderful strides that women have been making, not just in baseball, but in sports in general. So it's been a lot of a uh, lot of attention on that that I'm happy to talk about. And then also um, very active um, with uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, doing a lot of webinars and town halls and uh, working with um, our DEI council at the Giants. So I'm very, very busy. But yesterday, Stephen, I had a spa day with my best girlfriend at the Giants because it was desperately needed desperately needed there we go yeah why did i ever think that you would be busy that's crazy so no off days for renell brooks moon if you're wondering um i also want to ask you about last year because no fans were in the stands and it was for good reason you know we're still battling this pandemic a year later um but what's intriguing to me is it basically says in your job description that you're supposed to be the best friends of the fans during these games you're supposed to be their, their best friend taking them through the action when there's nobody there. How difficult was it for you to kind of go through your normal routine? Yeah, the, I've been getting that question a lot. Um, and I, that, yeah, that's a great description. I always like to liken myself as I'm your host for mm -hmm. the afternoon or for the night. And um, I think what really, no, I know what served me so well last season was my my radio career. I was, I was on morning radio here in San Francisco for like 35 years. And when you do, when you do morning radio or radio, just in general, but in my experience, morning radio, you have to visualize your audience. You have to remember who you're talking to. You're talking to parents that are fixing breakfast or fixing lunches, getting the kids ready for school, or they're getting ready for work, or they're on the bus, or they're on BART, or they're carpooling. So I always know who my, I have to visualize who my audience was on the radio. And I had to do that last season. And the other thing too, Stephen, is it was, it, it was different, yet it was the same, if that makes any sense. But it was such a privilege to be back in the booth last season. 
And I heard from so many on social media saying, thank you for giving us a three or four hour distraction. Thank you for bringing us a little bit of normalcy in our day. And the fact that we couldn't have fans, it made me really, because everyone's saying I can hear you through the TV or the radio. So it made me just really try to serve them as best I could with them listening or watching on TV. But it was, it was a great privilege during that horrible year last year to be able to give that back to the fans. So that was always uppermost in my mind. But then the other thing too is, it was like riding a bike and it was so great to be with the crew again. And because um, we're really a family during this season, we spend more time with each other than our own family. So it was, I mean, we were, it was like riding a bike. We were right back into it, but it was, um, it was different yet the same, but I felt very, 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 very privileged and honored and especially and blessed to even have a job because I didn't even know if there was going to be a season. So were you any more enthusiastic? Were you any less enthusiastic when announcing the names? What was kind of the crowd? And, you know, they had the in-sync crowd noise, which is the weirdest thing in my mind. But honestly, when you're watching the games at home, it sounds real. So it was kind of interesting. What was the enthusiasm level like? Yeah, um, yeah, it's funny because we were all like, poo-pooing the, the crowd noise, but I mean, by the first pitch, you know, or the middle of the first, we're like, okay, <laughs> it sounded normal to us too. Um, someone on Twitter for the home opener said, oh, Rennell's energy, uh, Rennell's energy level or something about my energy was different. And that's because the fans provide that energy. But last season, um, it, it was more given, given the guys what I felt they needed. So I felt like I was still delivering the same energy, maybe a little softer because I didn't have to project as much, but I felt like I was still giving it my all, giving it 150%. But um, yeah, it didn't really change for me. And again, I just, I love this job so much. And I was just so happy to be back on the mic and to see my dudes again. Yeah, absolutely. I would imagine. Uh, and I know before the 2020 season, you had your thyroid removed, which oh. is crazy. So after, you know, a big time operation like that happens, is there ever a feeling of like stress or something not working? I could I could only imagine like the early the early um, progress that you made and, and maybe being frustrated with the progress. So what was that like coming back? Was there any worry at all? In an in an odd way, it kind of gave my voice time to heal because I wasn't projecting for 40,000 people. Um, and it, it, was, it was the scariest thing I've ever been through in my life because, I, and I didn't realize how common a surgery it is because I've heard from so many, because I didn't really divulge it at first because I was in my feelings about it <laughs> because my thyroid was actually growing. It was getting so big, it was growing into my vocal cords. So the shortened season gave me more time to rest it and more time to work with voice specialists who knew there was such a thing, right? And and a vocal coach that I've that I've also been working with. But yeah, my biggest fear was like, well, you know, what's is is she gonna come back the way she's always been? I've been using my voice on a microphone since 1985 for crying out loud. And um, it did. It's still not even back 100. percent But it was it was challenging, and there was a lot of. I mean, it's like any other muscle you have to work out to keep it strong. Um, so, but it, it gave me enough that I needed to do last season and I've been working with my vocal coach. In fact, when I, let me just drop this. When I sang to Willie Mays for his 90th birthday, as, as one does, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, 
I worked with my coach and she was like, oh my God, you're already an octave higher um, than you were like six months ago. So um, that was the scariest thing I've ever been through. Cause I was like, really, are you kidding me? This is my moneymaker right yeah. here. But I can't say enough about all the medical professionals and the voice experts that have helped me to, to get it back. So the, the, the speaking voice is probably about 85% but the singing voice is maybe in like the high 60s. And that's why I, I told my coach, we need extra sessions before I go on television and sing to Willie Mays. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like you knew that the 2020 season would be shortened. So did you predict the global pandemic? <laughs> no, please. I had nothing to do with it, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. Please. No, no. But, you know, but... I think for a lot of us, it put a lot of things in perspective for us because we had so much time to sit still and, and be quiet and kind of refocus. So I'm just, I just, I just, I've always been grateful every day, Stephen, but I'm just so much more grateful after my, my surgery and the fact that I, you know, have great healthcare and, you know, just, just wonderful support along the way. Cause not everybody has that. And by the way, I'm fighting for that also. <laughs> fighting for a lot of things mm -hmm. in my activist life, but yeah, it was, it was a trip. I have to tell you. And I felt so good after it, after they removed it. And by the way, of course I do everything big, Steven, the operation should have been like four hours. It was six hours because oh. she was like wrestling with it. It was just, you know, um, so it was, and then I, I get, and then I'm rolling, I'm back in the gym and I'm feeling fit. I'm feeling great. And just my whole, Everything felt so much better, as my surgeon said, once we get this out of you, it's going to be amazing. And so then, yeah. then February happens and <laughs> my gym closes. <laughs> I don't know if I have a job. You know, it's like, So the universe can mess with you sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. It would have been comical if the surgeon said, God, these these vocal cords and thyroids look like they've been they've been used a lot. So. <laughs> Uh, six hours, but six hours, you sound great. And it's great to have you back at the ballpark for sure. Um, Thank you. So this year's your 21st year with the Giants. And I know, uh, as you mentioned before, you had a career in radio beforehand. Um, to me, you kind of revolutionized the position. Okay, nobody else sings happy birthday to Willie Mays. <laughs> nobody else has their own float in, in a parade or MCs these big events or even is known on a, like a first name basis. I mean, some teams probably don't even know their public address announcer by name or what they look like. So how much have you tried to make this role kind of your own? Such a good question. Um, I just, I just, well, my broadcasting background obviously helped, um, which is why they invited me to audition. They wanted to hire another woman with, um, with broadcast experience. By the way, shout out to Sherry Davis, my predecessor at Candlestick for the last seven seasons. Shout out to her for busting that door down so that myself and so many others can walk through it. Um, but there's like, no, I'm like, is there a manual? Is it like a, a guide? Or So I just, I mean, I just did my thing. I just... I'm, I'm a huge baseball fan, obviously. And I grew up, you know, going to Candlestick and, and rooting for both the Giants and A's. So I just approached it, you know, since they wanted broadcast experience and like more of a professional voice. Um, and in some ways it's kind of like doing a radio show, kind of, because 
which I didn't realize when I first got the job, you know, there's like inning breaks where I have copy to read as I would on the, you know, on the radio. And in those days I was doing the, um, the game shows with the, uh, with the fans. They've since, you know, hired a, a, a in-stadium host for that. And so it felt a lot like my radio show, but I just, my whole goal was just respect the game. You're not the star of this show. You're not on the radio respect the game, give just enough energy and think about what you would like to hear as a fan. But there was really, you know, nobody I could really go to, to, to figure this out. And um, thank you for saying that though. Um, uh, but I think my broadcast experience really, really helped to, to guide me in this direction. And I could have never imagined any, any of this happening. Um, you know, the, the TV work that I do for the giants, you know, the, Mayor Breed's inauguration of emceeing that like what is happening in my life right now and doing things for Nancy Pelosi. Um, and I also think that because of my broadcast experience, that's that's opened up, you know, this these opportunities to do TV and host all these events and everything. Um, and also, I think a good portion of the fan base was already familiar with me having been on the radio for so long. So there was already this familiarity that I didn't have to really, I didn't have to battle too much because they all, they all listen to me and they know what a baseball fan I am and everything. So uh, I just feel really fortunate that I think that that really helped, but I've just kind of been, you know, and I've evolved as the years have gone on Stephen too, you know, because if I listen to myself in 2000, I'll probably just freak out because it's so different now. And I'm definitely more, a little more relaxed with my delivery now, but it's just been kind of trial and error along the way. Oh yeah, absolutely. And if I look back at my first episode, it's horrible. I mean, the lighting was all bad and the microphone was bad. And yeah, so I guess they tell you never to, to look back at your old articles or look back at your old work, but um, sometimes we get caught doing it, of course. So I know you mentioned that, yeah. you know, they, they kind of told you to audition. And so how did you kind of get the job? When did they tell you, how did you find out? Oh my God, Stephen, it was was the most thrilling yet nerve wracking experience. Um, so it was the fall of 1999 and I got a call. I had a voicemail message when I finished my uh, morning show. That's my, that's my jam. I always check my messages. And then before I go into meetings and everything, and I'm listening to this voicemail message, I knew that there was a new ballpark coming, but I didn't know they were going to hire a new PA announcer. So I get this message from the vice president of marketing at the time, asking me if I'd be interested in auditioning. For the PA job at the new ballpark. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? So the first person I called, I didn't call him right back. I called my mom immediately because my mother and my grandpa are the reason I have such a passion and love baseball so much. She was pregnant with me in 1958 when the Giants moved here to San Francisco. And she is like, just a baseball goddess. By the way, shout out to mommy who just turned 95 years old. Saw that. Happy birthday. Thank you. So um, so I called her first and we both lost it. Then I called the VP of marketing back and I was like, of course I'm interested. And then they had me go to Candlestick about a week later and audition. Um, do some starting, do some starting lineups and do some in-game promotional copy reads and stuff like that. And I felt really good about it, but I also, when I, when I finished the audition, I called mom again and I said, mom, even if I don't get this job, 
what a thrill it was to sit in the PA booth at Candlestick Park, where I spent so many summers with my mom and dad and siblings, you know, watching the Willies and, you know, all these great players. And I said, what a thrill it was to hear my voice on the PA system in the ballpark. Um, then about a week later, I got called back for a second audition. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. Um, and I wasn't even really tripping, Stephen, because I'm so busy with, with the radio show and all that comes with that and all the community work I was doing. I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe I have a shot at this. So went in, did a second audition, pretty much the same, but there were, there were a few more executives in the house listening this time. Ooh. <laughs> uh-huh. And then I get called back for a third audition. And he told me it's between you and one other candidate. Well, why'd you tell me that? Because <laughs> now I'm going in, you know, guns ablaze. Here we go. Um, so I, I, again, the team of his executives are out there, Larry Bear and the late Peter McGowan and some others. And uh, so I did the third audition. What I wasn't told was that I was going to go meet with Mr. Peter McGowan, our general managing partner, uh, managing general partner, and uh, in his office for an interview. Okay, that is not fair because I'm a Virgo and we like to prepare. We don't like surprises. So I like had no time to like, you know, figure out how I was gonna flow in that interview. And went, went to his office, did the interview. I'll never forget, he had a yellow legal pad and he's just writing notes. He never, ever looked at me. And I was like, well, this must not be going well. Um, but then like about a week later, right before my husband and I were leaving for Thanksgiving vacation, um, I got the call that Friday before we were leaving uh, saying I, that I got the job and I, I just, it was unreal. I just, it was unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. And Mr. McGowan, may he rest in peace. We went on to have a really, really lovely, lovely relationship. Cause I was like, oh, he does not like me at all during the interview, right? We went on to have the most lovely relationship myself and, and with his wife, Debbie. So, but yeah, that was, that was about a six week ordeal. And I'm, I'm actually glad that I was so busy with my radio job that I didn't have time to sit and worry about it, you know, because it was quite the quite the lengthy process. But that's how it happened. Thanks to my radio career, I, I got this wonderful gift. Oh, sounds like an intense process. And I know the ballpark itself has been called like millions of different things. I mean, Pac-Bell and then SBC, then AT&T, now Oracle. So which one was harder for you to adjust from? Hmm, let's see. Well, I think it was probably AT&T because the fans were so outraged. <laughs> they were not happy at all and they were voicing their displeasure. So, you know, I was like, okay, well, how do I welcome everybody to AT&T Park when they are hating this sponsorship name? So probably probably that one. And then of course, when we when Oracle uh, took over the naming rights, the same reaction. Yeah. The, the, the very same people who were horrified by AT&T are now like, it'll always be AT&T Park to me, right? So, mm -hmm. Yeah, and, so and, that and was Oracle, yeah, and Oracle Arena was, you know, across the bay and they're like, how is this going to coexist? Exactly. And honestly, it's not really a problem because, you know, the Warriors moved to now Chase Center and Oracle Arena is yeah. being used 
in, you know, not for professional sports. So it's been, it's been a little bit of an easier transition. So yeah. I, yeah. So that I, I thought it would be a bigger, bigger difference and a bigger adjustment than it was. Um, but I also want to mention 2002 uh, when the giants reached the world series, you were actually the first female announcer of a championship game in all professional sports. When that happened. And you know, when you were in the middle of doing that, did you know at all what you were doing or did like somebody had to come up to you and say, Hey, do you know that you're the first you know, female in a championship game announcing a game? So what was kind of your reaction to that? I did not know that <laughs> it didn't even occur to me. And I am just, I'm in the playoffs in what my third season, I'm in the postseason in my third season actually we went my first season at the first round, but I'm like, we're actually in the NLCS and now we're in the world series. How is this happening? So I'm just more focused on, Oh, the world will be watching and listening, you know, because you go, they go live to the PA announcer for the lineups and the app and everything. And I was like, Oh, Oh God. Oh God. On the one hand, I was like, Oh, my friends and family all over will be able to hear me. And then I was like, Oh God, everybody's watching. So I was really nervous that day. And I, don't really get nervous because I'm so old. I've been doing it for so long, Stephen. I just don't get, I was so nervous that day. And then the nervousness increased because now that morning I'm like, Renelle, we're getting all of these media requests for you. Can you come in a little bit earlier? I'm like, for what? Because the media knew it. I didn't know it. And it wasn't just local media. It was Southern California media because of the angels, right? And I was like, what? (laughs) So I had so many interviews to do that day. I couldn't even really focus on, that made me more nervous than the game actually. Because now I'm like, I didn't know I was making history. Are you kidding me? So I was was a wreck, but once again, once I turned that mic on, all is right in the world and I can do my thing. But I was like, why is all this attention on me today? I prefer it not. I prefer to go to a quiet space and, you know, bring my, you know, focus in and everything. But what an honor and what a privilege. I just, I had no, no idea. This is crazy. It's the craziest thing. Yeah. You got to go upstairs and go, oh God, I got to write the lineups. Uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah. For a long time, you were the only female PA announcer in baseball. Now you have three others now in the club, the Orioles, the Mets, and right across the bay with the A's all have uh, now female PA announcer. So what does that kind of mean to you to kind of have some other people now in that exclusive club? Oh, it means everything, Stephen, because it was a very, very lonely place for like 18 years, you know? Um, uh, and I wish that Sherry Davis sent me a lovely note, but I also know that it was a little contentious you know, when they didn't give her a shot at the new job. So I just felt a little bit awkward about, you know, reaching, reaching out to her because, oh, the doorbell just, Amazon, honey. Uh, <laughs> sorry about that, Steven. No, that's great content right there. That's, that's going to go in the blooper reel for the second that, year. Like happens every day. Oh because yeah. Because the other thing I enjoy doing is shopping. So anyway, I felt a little awkward about reaching out to Sherry and, um, uh, and I just found out that uh, this year, I just found out that Boston had the first African-American female PA in 90, I think 96, 97, Leslie Sterling. And 
And I was, first of all, I was shocked that I just found this out. And then second of all, I was like irritated that her story wasn't out there. Um, so I'm kind of on a mission to, you know, to, to make sure I give her her flowers and honor her at every turn I can, every chance I can. But what I wouldn't have given if I could have been able to call her in 2000, you know? And so now to be able to have our little club, uh, Amelia Schimmel of the A's, we're having lunch today, by the way. That's oh, fact. perfect timing. Yes. Taking care of my, taking care of my girl, my baseball daughter. Um, uh, and we got, this will actually be the first time I meet her because we connected virtually last year. I reached out to her when she was filling in for the late Dick Callahan and we stayed in touch and you know, tried to help her and mentor her as much as I could and encourage her because she was just did a great job last year for having never, ever done it before. Just did such a great job. Um, and she has now started a, a text thread with the four of us. So we were just all texting on Saturday, as a matter of fact. Um, so it's just great to have, have this club because nobody knows what we go through except each other. Mm. Um, and when Medi Saul got hired by the Mets, I just lost my mind. I was so excited. And I, I we reached out to her on Twitter and then we started you know, tweeting each other and then we exchanged numbers and emails and everything. And we are just the best girlfriends of all time. And just so happened that in 2018, when she got hired, we were going to City Field um, road trip. So, and I was going, I go as like a, a fan ambassador with some of our season ticket members. So we were making that trip anyway. And I was like, oh my God, we get to meet. So uh, both the Giants production team and the Mets production team both did a, a feature interviewing the both of us. And it was like meeting a, the long lost sister, I, you know, I never knew about because we kept finishing each other's sentences and we kept, and she also has a broadcasting background. So we really, you know, bonded over that as well. And we couldn't stop hugging and holding hands. It was just fantastic. And then my husband and I got to see her um, right before lockdown. We were in, in uh, New York for the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, November 2019. And that, that's the last time I got to see her. But yeah, so this will be the first time I meet Amelia in person today. And I'm, I'm so excited. And she actually kind of let me in on her hiring before it went public, and which I really appreciated her sharing that with me. And then we kind of had another mentoring girl talking session as well. But it's just, and it just, I'm just, so happy about not just having my sister PA announcers, but just what is going on with women in baseball right now. You know, we have Alyssa Nacken, our coach, and Kim Ang, GM of the Marlins. So, I mean, because none of this I could have seen coming in 2000. It's always what I had hoped for and prayed for. And I've always said, you know, I may be the, well, I wasn't the first, I may be the third, but I won't, I will not be the last. And for me, my, I want my legacy to be that I helped create more opportunities for women in, in sports and in baseball in particular, and that, I, and that I helped to make significant and lasting change here with the Giants, but MLB overall. So I couldn't be more thrilled to have uh, this, this wonderful little club of us four now, the Fab Four. And hopefully it grows. So I can't wait to see how, uh, how the meeting goes with you and Amelia. So uh, that, that's really awesome. And another cause that you're involved in, uh, you're very active in, in the Black Lives Matter movement and very outspoken on social media about racial injustices. Uh, and last summer, the Giants and the Dodgers um, canceled their game at home 
after the shooting of, of Jacob Blake and uh, Kenosha. So we, we hear all the time about, you know, how sports are a distraction. Yes, it's true. But the cancellation of the game also got people to notice, also got people to talk about the issue at hand. How did you kind of feel when that game was canceled? What, were, what was running through your mind? Well, I was already emotional because it's like, okay, come on. It just keeps happening and it's exhausting and it's frustrating. And it's, it, it's just, it's always a trigger when you see it happen again. And, and I knew that the Milwaukee sports teams, they, they set the tone that day when they canceled their games. And I got to the ballpark and there was a lot of, you know, back and forth. We weren't, we knew there was a lot of conversations going on as to whether that they were going to play that game. So I was already emotional about it. Um, and prior to that, um, when, when our manager, Gabe Kapler, and some of our guys took a knee during the anthem at the preseason game in Oakland um, and then carried it on throughout the season, I was so moved by that. Um, and and I, I tweeted about it. And I, the next day I've got, you know, all these requests to, to talk about it and everything. But I thought it was a really courageous move. And I tweeted to Gabe Kapler, how much I appreciated it. And it brought me to tears and, and my other guys too. And they didn't, they didn't let up all season. Yaz and, and Pablo Sandoval, by the way, hello, Pablo in Atlanta. What is going on with you? What is, (laughs) yeah. Right. And Austin Slater and Mauricio Dubon. It just, it just moved me. And, and, and then to learn more about Gabe um, growing up as an activist, because his parents were, and, and from that, um, yeah, it was obviously after George Floyd's murder. And from that, I uh, established a really lovely relationship with Gabe and, you know, offered him my help now that he started his foundation and he's helped me out with some of my nonprofit things. And I've also been involved in a lot of conversations, ongoing conversations um, with the Giants about diversity, equity, inclusion and Black Lives Matter. I have an ongoing conversation. I have a bi-weekly call with um, Larry Bear, like, well, after, after the homestands, we check in. Because the, the sad reality, Stephen, is that we don't have a black player. Lamont Wade has been up and down. I'm rooting for him. Uh, excuse me, Lamont Wade Jr. Um, uh, we don't have a black coach uh, and we don't have a black person in upper management. So whether I like it or not, it has fallen on me to be the black voice of this team, whether I like it or not. And then sometimes too, after this past year, I'm thinking again, how the universe works. Well, if I weren't there, who would be talking about it? You know what I mean? So, and don't get me wrong, it's been exhausting and frustrating and um, particularly because I've been trying to have these conversations with the organization since I started. Um, there's still a huge lack of diversity in the front office and on the field. And um, so it was, it was very, it's, it continues to be a very challenging time for me, but um, it's something that needs to be, it needs to be done. And I need to keep my foot on the gas and continue to hold the Giants accountable and MLB accountable as well, because I, I actually tweeted at MLB. I waited as long as I could because they were the last sport, as you know, to make a statement after the George Floyd murder. Mm-hmm. 
And I, it was like eight or nine days. And I was like, come on, I've been waiting. This is the league of Jackie Robinson. Come on now. Yeah. So, um, but again, I've, I come from activists as well. Like our skipper does my, you know, my dad was the first black high school principal in San Francisco. I come from a, a trailblazer in his own right. And uh, he was very involved in his fraternity and the NAACP. And, you know, I just remember since I was, was as young as I can remember, just watching how my dad and my mom really fought for justice. So, and it was, it's, I did the same thing in my radio career. So I, I would be doing this no matter what profession I was in. It is not easy, but to whom much is given, much is required. And a lot of credit should be given to you for that. Um, I, I wanted to piggyback off that because 7% of big league players on 2021 opening day rosters were black. And this is a low, and it appears to be getting lower every single year. Uh, I believe the Mariners had about 10 African-American players on their roster, which is yeah. which was the most. Yeah. Um, so baseball's losing great athletes to basketball and football every single year. Uh, how does this problem get fixed? Because, I mean, I'll tell you what doesn't help is that you have to pay $300 for a glove and $400 for a bat. And that's just never going to it's never going to appeal to the, to the, the inner city kids and um, can't afford it. Can't, can't afford, afford it. it. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. I think the giants do an unbelievable job at, look, me and my brother have coached junior giants uh, for in, in San Bruno actually. Uh, so it's an unbelievable program and that's definitely helping with the cause, but big picture wise, how does this problem get fixed? Oh my God. I wish I were an expert and I wish that I knew, but right now having these conversations is super important but there needs to be more, and, and this is what I've been saying for years, there needs to be more community outreach. Um, something that has always bothered me is the Baby Hunters Point community is right down the street. And I hear from that community all the time that I'm the only face they see from the organization. And that's going back to my radio days as well. But there needs to be more outreach and I'm, I'm trying to work on this, been working on this for the past year. There needs to be um, more outreach into the community into and get these kids to the ballpark now that we're open and have some clinics and, you know, educate them and show them what the possibility is. But there also is that financial um, uh, aspect of it that is true and is real. You know, um, there's just so much work that has to be done to make this sport attractive again and attainable again for inner city kids. And I don't, I don't know what the answer is to that, but I know that I'm going to fight for it and do all that I can. Um, Starting with last season, when I had the opportunity to highlight the baby YMCA um, during the giant race as one of my charities of choice last season. And what we are hopefully going to have, what is going to happen in the second half is like I was saying, have the kids come to the ballpark and have clinics with the coaches and, and have that experience. I just would like to get kids to the game that that's something I would like to get a big group of kids to the game um, because that isn't something that these families can't afford either. So I, I don't have the answer. Um, I also know that there, again, the lack of diversity, you know, in, in the front office and, you know, we, that needs to change. When, when we get people that look like these kids in these, you know, in these upper management positions, there will be more 
that's something that they can see and aspire to, but there will be more people that have experienced that in their life that know how to make this change. I am no expert, but I'm gonna keep talking about it and I'm gonna keep suggesting things and I'm gonna keep doing what I can because it's just, it breaks my heart having grown up seeing the greatest players, the greatest black players of all time. Mr. Mays, Mr. McCovey, you know, I got to meet Lou Brock and I got to meet Bob Gibson and Frank Robinson. And for kids to, that's also the other thing, kids need to be educated about Negro League Baseball and these players that were able to break the color line. So there's a lot of conversations there's a, that need to be had. There needs to be more uh, diverse hires that understand what needs to happen and uh, more community outreach. I shared with Larry, I was like, we gotta, you know, we gotta get down to Bayview Hunters Point. And that doesn't mean just going to the kids, but that means can, you know, volunteerism in the front office in, in inner city communities. And hey, how about, how about this? How about when we get back to having the catered lunches, how about you think about some black owned businesses, you know, down the street in the Bayview. So it's a tall, tall order, but it breaks my heart. It breaks my mommy's heart who, you know, who, you know, followed Negro League Baseball because of my papa. And, you know, when I think of all the great players that contributed to this sport and the, the lack of, of uh, black players, it's just, it's just heartbreaking. I tell you what, we had one of our, one of our first series last season, I think it was with Seattle. And I was like, I mean, I had read about it, you know, but I was like, whoa. <laughs> and like Kyle Lewis, I mean, they're fantastic. I'm like, how did this happen? You know, and then we got Tim Anderson in Chicago. So, you know, the, in the players Alliance, you know, oh, yeah. we need their help on this as well. So it's, it's a big issue and it's going to take a lot of work. I wish I knew the answer. I, I wish I did, but I, I just know that I make myself available. I speak out, I suggest, and, you know, I, and I'm, I'm really being heard for the first time in mm -hmm. 20 years. Yeah. And the Mariners have also done it with, uh, with international players with, um, yes. you know, in Asia with, with, uh, they've gotten Korean players, Japanese players, they have a rich history doing it all. So yeah. hats off to the Mariners, uh, and hats off to you, Rennell. I really appreciate your time. It was a lot of fun to talk to you, uh, and, and best of luck to you moving forward. Thank you so much and continued success with your podcast. And sorry, I talk a lot, so I hope oh. I didn't like dominate. Well, it's a podcast, so you're in the, you're in the right place. So there we go. Uh, you guys can follow Rennell on Twitter and Instagram at Rennell SF voice V O Y S E. Of course the voice, as we mentioned before, the money makers. Um, <laughs> so, and of course you can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Rizzo cast and Rennell, would you be so kind to give me a little now hosting Rizzo cast Steven Risotto, that would make my day. And I could use it in the intro for the for future shows. So let, let's hear it. Now hosting the Rizzo cast, Steven mm -hmm. Risotto. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. <clears throat> let me clear the clear the chords. Ladies and gentlemen, now hosting the Rizzo cast. Put your hands together for Steven Risotto. Oh my gosh, that's excellent. There we go. I'm a kid <laughs> in the candy store right now. The lighting doesn't show it, but my face is cherry red. Uh, that was awesome. Renell, I really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we could keep in touch and talk soon.
I hope so too. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. All right. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for watching and have a great day.